This morning, we spent a little time in Bethany, in the town of Bethany. I want to spend a little time, and I don't think we're going to do this all week, but I want to spend a little time just outside of the town of Bethany this morning, here in Mark, chapter number 11. And I want you, I want to start reading in verse number 12. Mark chapter 11, and verse number 12. And the Bible said this, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, talking about Jesus, and seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, and his disciples heard it. And then, if we read on a little bit further, we'll come down in verse number 19. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is, is withered away. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, Whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now I want to preach a little while on this fig tree. For a moment, lessons from this fig tree. And we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us. And then we'll spend a few moments here. Father, we do love you today because you first loved us. And we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for the songs of Zion. For the fellowship of believers. We're thankful for the sweet Holy Ghost. We're thankful, Lord, for our Lord Jesus who died on the cross, shed his blood so that we might be saved. We thank you now, Lord, we can spend a little time in the word. And I pray you'd help us to glorify you. I pray you'd be lifted up. Then I pray we'd be helped. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't thank you. You'd be seated. Now, this passage that we're in tonight, we could look at it. In three ways, and I think we will look at it three ways tonight, and we'll kind of hurry through part of them and get to the last one. But here is one of the miracles of Christ. But it's not a miracle like we are are accustomed to. One writer said this. He said, Jesus performed many miracles of mercy and performed them all upon men. But he performed one miracle where the thing withered away. But he didn't do it to a man. He did it to a tree. And I thought about this. The miracle of his judgment was on a tree, not on men. I'm glad he'd rather be merciful to us and put his judgment on the tree. And I think it's appropriate that this miracle of judgment was on a tree because the judgment of God was poured out upon Christ on the tree, on Calvary, when he took my place and your place on the cross of Calvary. So we come to this passage. Jesus has been in Bethany and he comes out and he finds this tree. There are three ways we could look at this passage. And I want to mention them to you. There is, first of all, a prophetic message here. And I want to talk to you about that a moment. There is also what we sometimes call a parabolic message because Jesus turns this tree into a parable. And then there is a practical message for you and I today. 
I want us to think first of all about the prophetic message. And I'm going to try not to spend a whole lot of time here. But if you're familiar with your Bible and with the prophetic aspect of your Bible, you know that the fig tree represents Israel in our Bible. And in this passage, this fig tree, I think, represents Israel. There is a, there is a lie and a false teaching going on around today that God is through with Israel and that the church has replaced Israel. We sometimes call it replacement theology, but it is not true and it is not scriptural. The church, you must keep the church separate from Israel. Israel has earthly promises. The church has heavenly promises. And if you get Israel and the church mixed up, you'll get your soteriology mixed up. You'll get, you'll get your eschatology mixed up. You'll get everything haywire and cockeyed if you don't keep the church separated from Israel. We have not replaced Israel. As a matter of fact, we've been grafted in. That's what Paul told us. And so let's think about Israel a moment. You have in this passage or in the Bible, when you think about Israel, you have Israel planted in the land which God gave them. In the Old Testament, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read it to you. Hosea 9.10. God said this, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her time, but they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves under that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. Now he typed Israel in two ways. He called them the vine, and he called them the fig, the fig tree and the vineyard. I might put it like this, and it's hard to separate the two, but the vineyard and Israel as a vine is there spiritually, and Israel as the fig tree is Israel politically, but it's hard to separate those two because they go together. So we have Israel placed in the land, a picture of the fig tree. Then we have another passage in John 1 about the figs, and it talks about this. Remember Jesus uh, saw Nathaniel? He greeted Nathaniel and he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And, and, and Nathaniel said, You don't even know who I am. And Jesus said this, When thou, I saw thee when thou sattest under the fig tree. Now, if you study your Bible, I don't have time to go into all this, but if you study your Bible, it talks about, that is a picture of prosperity. Every man sitting under his own fig tree. That's what God intended for Israel. He intended for them to prosper in the land and be a testimony unto him. But you know what happened? Israel perverted themselves in the land. Here's what the Bible said in Luke 6. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his fruit. For the for of thorns do men gather figs and and uh, of, uh, let me see, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth fruit that is good. Now, every time you read about the fig, think about Israel. And God said what Israel was doing was, they're bringing forth wicked fruit, ungodly fruit in that land that God intended them to be fruitful in. And then Israel is presuming in the land. Here's what the Bible said in Luke 13. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his figure vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after thou shalt cut it down. Or on the fig tree again, God comes to Israel, looking for fruit, and there is no fruit. Did you notice how many years he came? 
three years. And then the one that's dressing the tree said, give us another year. Now go back to Proverbs chapter 30. Here's what you'll find in those lists. You remember the lists that Agur gives us in Proverbs 30? He'll use language like this. There be three, yea, four. Three things, yea, four, that are wise in the earth. There are six lists there and five of them. He does that, three and four. And what it's talking about is it's going to the nth degree. It's going beyond. And here's what the Bible's saying. That God in His mercy kept giving Israel chances. Three and then four. He kept giving them opportunity. He was merciful with them and merciful with them. But you know what they did? They never brought forth fruit. They never brought forth fruit. So we have Israel presuming in the land. And then we have in this passage, Israel plucked out of the land. Now, I want want you to notice some things here. When Jesus uh, says to this fig tree, no man eat fruit of thee. And then it withers away and the disciples bring it up. And Jesus says an interesting thing. He said, if you have faith, you can say unto this mountain. Now, did you notice that? He didn't say a mountain. He didn't say any mountain. He said this mountain. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 26, three times Jerusalem will be called this mountain. Then what did he say? If you have faith, you can say unto this mountain, be thou cast into the sea. What does the sea represent in our Bible? Represents humanity, the multitude of, of peoples and nations. So here's what Jesus is saying prophetically. He's saying that God, because Israel has failed, is going to pluck this mountain, Ju- uh, Jerusalem, Israel, the center of their, of their, of their worship. He's going to pluck them up and he's going to cast them out into the nations. Isn't that what happened to Israel? Yeah, Dispersed throughout the nations. That's where they were. But now wait a minute. That's not the end of the story. Because the Bible tells us this in Matthew chapter 24. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put it forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise, ye when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. What's he talking about? The fig tree again. But notice what he said. It's going to bud again. It's going to bloom again. There's going to be figs again. What's he saying? He's saying God's not done with Israel. He's not done with Israel. Now, let me say this and I'll move on because we're, we're getting, I want to get into the message and I'm just kind of headed that way. But let me say this. Remember Romans chapter 8. Starts out like this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And if you read Romans chapter 8, the bent of Romans chapter 8, the theme of Romans chapter 8 is security. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, sent to heaven, set at the right hand of the throne of God. Who shall separate us from the love of God? It's, it's security all through there. Now, you have your Schofield Bible, and you get to chapter 9. Mr. Schofield will say chapter 9, 10, and 11 are a parenthetic expression. And what a parenthetic expression is, I'm talking about one thing and then I change my direction and I talk about something else and then I go back to what I was talking about. Unfortunately, Mr. Schofield is mistaken in that passage. Because he's talking about security in chapter 8. What's he talking about in 9, 10, and 11? He said, have God cast off his people? No, he's not cast off. Now here's what he's saying. Look up here. Here's what he's saying. Saying in chapter 8, God's not going to cast off the church. He said, here's an example that will help you know that. Israel was his people, and he didn't cast them off either. Somebody said, well, God's done with Israel. Well, if God's done with Israel, how do you know God's not going to get done with you sometime? 
If God got fed up with Israel and said, I'm finished with them. How do we know he's not going to get fed up with us and get finished with us? So Paul said this. I want you to know, just look at Israel. God did not cast them off. He's talking about security. So there is a prophetic picture. Now you say, preacher, why are you preaching on that? Because I don't want you to get swept up in this business that the Israel, that the church has replaced That's Israel right. because it is heresy. That's right. I don't care who's preaching. It is heresy. It is not Bible truth. There's going to come a day. And I, I wrote the verses down. I, I have them down here somewhere. I'm not going to read them all to you. But here's what Paul said in Romans 11. I say that if God cast away his people, God forbid. He tells us, he tells us that Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. God is not done with Israel. Israel is still the apple of God's eye. Israel is still God's time calendar. And I'm telling you, keep your eye on Israel if you want to know what God is up to. So there's a prophetic picture. But there's also a parabolic picture here. Here's what God is doing with this fig tree. He is giving us a parable in this fig tree. Bible prophets oftentimes in our scripture use, use objects in order to teach a lesson to you and I. And that's what he's going to do here. Now, what's going on with this fig tree anyway? You say, well, Jesus came out to find some figs and there were no figs and so he cursed the tree and it withered away. Well, Jesus did go out to find figs, and there were no figs. But here's what Mark said. Mark said it wasn't the time for figs. And there are two seasons for figs. There's the early fig and the late fig. And the late fig is what they call the season of the figs. But here's the thing about a fig tree. A fig tree does not have figs unless it has leaves. It has leaves. The figs come, and then the leaves come on. They come. So if a fig tree has leaves... It should have figs on it. Now somebody said, well preacher, he cursed the tree because it had no figs. No, that, that wasn't the problem. Yeah. There were many other trees around that did not have fruit on them. He didn't curse any of them. Right. But he cursed this one. Why? Because it had leaves with no fruit. Here was its problem. Its problem was not that it didn't have fruit. Its problem was not that it didn't possess fruit. Its problem was with its profession. The problem was not that it didn't have fruit. The problem was that the leaves were professing that there was fruit when there was no fruit. The problem is not that it didn't have figs. The problem was, if I could put it in human language, it was pretending that it had figs. Do you know what our problem is today? Our pretending. We're leafy, but we don't have any fruit. We put on a good front and a good show, but we don't have anything to back up. What we put on. We've been taught all our lives to hide. And to cover up. We've been taught that all our lives. Put on a good face. Put on a good front. God's not interested in a good face. He's not interested in a good front. He's interested in reality. He's interested in us being what we say that we are. The problem with this tree is it is pretending. It is pretending. You know, in the in the Garden of Eden when mankind sinned, what did he do? He got him a fig leaf and he put it over him to cover his nakedness. He was covering himself. But it didn't do any good with God. God could see right through it. God could see that he sinned. And you and I spend our lives, we're pretending to be something that we're not. Pretending to be spiritual when we're not. Coming to the house of God, putting on our our our, our spiritual face and our religious clothes and acting like we're something we're not. And God said, I'm not interested in that. He said, I'm not interested in a show. I'm not interested in a facade. I'm not interested in play acting. I'm interested in the real thing. God wants us to be real. He wants us to be real Christians. He wants us to be what we say that we are. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 5, the Bible's talking about 
Ananias and Sapphira. And here they come. Now, if you go to Acts chapter, let's just go over there a minute. Let's just look at it a minute. In Acts chapter 5, you're familiar with this passage. But watch what happens in this passage. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples, the apostles, the early church, they're bringing the things they have and they're laying them at the apostles' feet. They, they still belongs to them. It's not socialism. It's not communism. It's simply grace giving is what's going on here. And they lay them at the feet of the disciples. And the Bible said in chapter 5 and verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep that part of the price of the land. Now watch this. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. In a little while, his wife will come in. The young men carry his body out. His wife will come in. Peter will say to her, tell us whether you sold the land for so much. She said, for so much. And he said, behold, the feet of them that tear it off your husband are at the door, and she's dead, and they're being carried off. God killed both of them. Why did he kill them? He didn't kill them because they didn't give it all. He killed them because they pretended that they gave it all. It was not It was not that they didn't give all the price of the land. It was they were putting on a show. They were pretending to be something that they were not. It's hypocrisy. It's what Jesus talked to about the Pharisees. He said, you're white and sepulchers full of dead men's bones. I'm, I'm listening to you tonight. God's more interested now. He, I know He's interested on the outside. I know he, I know He's He's concerned about how I present myself, how I dress myself. All those things are important to Him. And let me tell you what He's more interested. That's right. He's interested in what's going on in our hearts. What's in your heart? David, after he sinned with Bathsheba, and he committed two terrible sins. He committed adultery, and then he committed murder to cover up the adultery. And in, in Psalm 51, he's trying to get his heart right with God. And, and there's hope there. He said, he said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. But before he said that, he said this. He said, but thou desirest truth. In the inward parts, when David was going to get right with God, he said, God wants to know what's going on in here. He wants to know what's going on in my heart. He's not as interested in what's out here as he is what's interested in here. What's going on inside? Jesus not only called the Pharisees whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones, but he said, you wash the outside of the cup and inside it's full of, it's full of uh, all kinds of things, fornication and adultery and uh, all those things, covetousness. He said, the inside is dirty. He said, wash the inside. Get the inside clean. God's not impressed with our outward show. He wants to know what's going on in your heart. The girls used to sing the song when they were little, sharing their two sisters. And he said, how about your heart? Is it right with God? What's your heart condition? Somebody said, well, preacher, nobody knows what I've been up to. Oh, somebody knows. God knows the eyes of the Lord and all the earth beholding the good and the evil. God knows. He knows what you've been up to. He's heard every conversation. He's seen everything you've seen. Are you listening now? He's heard everything. He knows where you've been. He's seen what happened in the darkest corner. He knows. He knows. Somebody said, well, preacher, I've been, I've been careful. I've covered up. Nobody knows. God knows. God knows. 
So there is a parabolic um, address here in this passage. He's teaching us that God knows. And then here's the third thing. And this I want to preach here for just a minute. There is a practical promise associated with this miracle. Now if you go back to your text, watch what he said. And Jesus answering in verse 22 said unto them, Have faith in God. Now when Matthew tells this, when Matthew tells this parable in this account, he puts it this way. He said, if you have faith, have faith in God, have faith in God. Now, remember what Israel's doing. Israel is putting on a front. Here's what Paul said about it in the book of Romans. He said they've gone about being ignorant of the righteousness of God. They've gone about trying to establish their own righteousness. That's what the world's up to today. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. They're trying to show that they're good. But the Bible said there's none good. None good. He said, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible said in Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Every one of us. Born sinners. Sinners by birth and sinners by choice. Some said sinners by nature and sinners by nurture. Because we nurture that sin in our lives. All of us born sinners. Not a one of us right with God. Not a one of us good enough to go to heaven. He, Jesus said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. We cannot get to heaven on our own goodness because we have no goodness. Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And so there's no righteousness in me. Isaiah said, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There is no righteousness in me and no righteousness in you. But you know what? We can become righteous because Paul said this. He, talking about God, hath made Him, talking about Jesus. He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I like that word made. He had to make Jesus sin because Jesus had no sin. He has to make us righteous because we have no righteousness. And here's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. God took all of my sin and put it on Christ. And when I received Him as my Savior, He took all of Christ's righteousness and put it on me. He no longer imputeth iniquity unto me. That's what Paul said. Blessed is the man to whom God imputeth not iniquity. What does He impute to you and I that are saved? The righteousness of Christ. When He sees us, He sees the righteousness and perfection of the only begotten Son who never sinned. Here's what Peter said about it. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. He never sinned one time. I don't care what Hollywood says about it. I don't care what some liberal modernist preacher says about it. Jesus was holy and harmless and undefiled. And God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He never sinned. Here's what He said of Himself. He said, lo, I come in the volume of this book to do Thy will, O God. He said, I do always those things which please the Father. And so Jesus never sinned. He was absolutely righteous. But you know what happened when I got saved? God took all that righteousness and put it on my account. Now when He sees me, He sees the righteousness of Christ. Here's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 4. He talked about Abraham. You remember this? He said, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertained the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. But what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Amen. I need to, I need to read a little bit more of that. Let me just read a little bit more because my mind might shut down, but my eyes are still working. He said, but he said, 
said, Now to him that worketh is reward not reckoned of grace but of death. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted unto him for righteousness. Now do you hear what he said? He said, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Alright, now here's my question. What was it Abraham believed from God? Go back to Genesis 15. Abraham says, Lord, what wilt thou give me? See, and I go childless. And mine heir is the steward in my house. And God said, this shall not be thine heir. One that cometh forth from thine own bowels shall be thine heir. He said, you're going to have a son. And you know, he took him out and showed him the stars of the heaven. And he said, if you can number the stars, so shall thy seed be. And you know what the Bible said? And Abraham believed in the Lord. And he counted it for righteousness. Now, what did he believe? He believed what God said about a promised son. And when he believed what God said about a promised son, God counted him as righteous. You know how I got saved and you got saved? If you're saved, you believed what God said about another promised son. And that promised son was Jesus, who Isaac was a picture of. And when we believed on that promised son, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what happened? God counted us as righteous. I'm telling you, righteousness is available. If you want to be righteous, you can. If you want to be right with God, you can. Righteousness is available. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You can be righteous. You can be right with God. Say, preacher, I want to be right with God. You can be right with God. A couple weeks ago, I was preaching on the radio, and a lady was driving along in her car, got under Holy Ghost conviction, and pulled off the side of the road, and got on her cell phone and called the radio station. They led her to Christ. She called me later. I talked to her on the phone. Her name was Margaret. Say, what happened to her? She became righteous on the way down into town to get her groceries. She pulled off the side of the road, got born again. I'm saying to you, you can be righteous if you want to be righteous. If you're willing, He'll give you the righteousness of Christ. Righteousness is available. But that's not all. Not only is righteousness available, fruitfulness is available. Now here is a tree that has no fruit. And because it has no fruit, it's just all for show. It just has leaves. Because of that, it's withering away. Now here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if you've been withering away. You've been putting on a good show. Nobody knows you're withering. Nobody knows what's going on inside, but you know. And God knows. I wonder if your joy has withered away. You've let some some situation, some circumstance. It's interesting that in the, at the end of this passage, when Jesus talks about this tree and then he talks about the power of prayer, at the end of the passage, here's what he said. Look what he said. And when you stand praying, verse 25, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking to myself, here's what happens. Our joy withers away because we've been, we feel like we've been wrong. Feel like we've been hurt. Somebody didn't treat us the way we thought we ought to be treated. And we've never forgiven them. We've never dealt with the bitterness in our heart. And what it's done is it's withered away our joy. Now we still got a grin on our face. But there's no smile in our heart. Is your joy withered away? You know what the Bible says? You know what Peter said it's like to be a Christian? He said it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Do you have joy unspeakable? Are you full of glory? Or has something stolen your joy so it's withered away? What about your joy tonight? 
Do you have any joy? Is is the gospel still wonderful to you? Is church still great to you? Is it still wonderful to sing the songs of Zion? Or has some something happened that shriveled up your joy? You say, well, preacher, so and so said this to me, and so and so did that to me, and this happened. Well, here's here's what Jesus said: When you stand praying, forgive, forgive. Now, I thought it interesting. He didn't say you had to go to them to get it forgiven. He just said, well, let me put it to you this way. Who do you talk to when you pray? I talk to the Lord. So he said, when I'm talking to the Lord, while I'm talking to the Lord, while I'm praying, here's what I do. I can forgive people who wrong me. And if you forgive the people who wrong you, you know what happens? Your joy won't wither away. Have you lost your joy? Do you have any joy? Did it used to be wonderful to hear the things of God? Did it used to be wonderful to sing the songs and the hymns? Did it used to thrill your heart to talk about Jesus? But you've lost your joy. Has it withered away? Say, preacher, how can I get my joy back? Well, most likely, you're going to have to forgive somebody. Or maybe you're going to have to repent of some secret sin. Something going on in your life. Nobody knows about it. Because you've covered it up. Because we're good at that. Nobody knows about it. But you know what's going to happen? You're going to have to get that right with God if you're going to get your joy back. Has your joy withered away? Has it withered away? You say, oh, preacher, nobody knows. I know I know you've covered it up. But God knows and you know and your joy has withered away. Has your joy withered away? Let me ask you this. Has your worship withered away? Are you still worshiping Him? Are you still worshiping not just at the house of God but in your prayer closet? You have a time of devotion when you get alone with God. Do you worship Him as you're going along? You know, I, I preached the other night on Elijah, and I'm preaching all over the place tonight. But I preached on Elijah. You remember what Elijah said when he stood before Ahab? You remember what he said? He said, "As the Lord God liveth, before whom I stand." Now that's an interesting statement because he wasn't standing before God, as far as we could see. He's standing before Ahab, but he's looking beyond Ahab, looking at the throne of God. And I get the idea that Elijah just felt like he's in front of God, no matter where he was. That he's standing before God, no matter what he was doing. That he was worshiping God, no matter where he was, no matter what he was involved in. But our worship has withered away. How about this? How about your prayer life? How's your prayer life doing? Is your prayer life withered away? Have you neglected your prayer list? Is it withered away? What happened to it? She said, well, preacher, I, you know, I, I, I pray when I come to church. Yeah, I know that's because we have to put on the front when we come to church. We don't want people to know we quit praying. Have you had any prayer answers? Lately? We're worried about our younger generation. We're worried about children. We're worried about... These teenagers growing up, you know what helped these teenagers more than anything else in the world? If mom and daddy prayed and had answers to pray. If they saw the reality of answered prayer. How's your prayer life? You know what we used to do? We used to have testimony times. We'd come to church and, and some places I go, they still do it. They'll have, they'll have prayer requests, but then sometimes they'll have praise testimonies. Anybody got a praise? And some will stand up and say, well, you know, I prayed about this and God answered my prayer. When's the last time you had prayer answered? Has your prayer life withered away? How's your prayer? How is it? We're in need of revival when we don't get our prayers answered. Not only that, I thought about this. How about your Bible study? Has it withered away? You read your Bible. You memorize the scripture. You know, most of us, we have hobbies we can memorize. We can look at things because we've learned about it and we've memorized it. But what about our Bible? Can we memorize our Bible? 
Thy word have I hid in my heart, but I might not sin against God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Want to be clean? Gotta stay in your Bible. Has your Bible study withered away? What about your soul winning? Talking to somebody about Jesus. Handing out, our brother was talking about handing out tracks here. We were in a it, we're in a Walmart a while back and we handed out a track and this lady, they chased us out the door. I thought they thought we'd stolen something, but they chased us out the door and this lady said, my friend didn't get one of those. Do you have any more? Amen. I used to pastor a fellow. You know how he got saved? Somebody had given out a track and whoever they gave it to threw it on the sidewalk. And he was walking down the sidewalk and he saw that track laying on the ground on the sidewalk and he picked it up because he thought it was trash. And when he saw what it said, he read it and got born again. He got saved. But don't tell him what that track will do. Have you told anybody about Jesus lately? Has your soul went and withered up? Has your evangelism withered away? How about your how about your faithfulness? Being faithful to God. How about our giving? Has our giving withered away because we've become afraid about what tomorrow's going to bring and we're wondering if God can really take care of us and so we're afraid to give, we're afraid to go beyond, we're afraid to, uh, we're afraid to, you know, what, what we'll do is we'll sit down and we'll look at our bank account and we'll say now, this is what I can afford to give, uh, but here's what we ought to do, we ought to get our knees and say, now Lord, what would thou have me to give? What would you have me to give? And then let the Lord make up the difference. I'm just talking about withering away. So here's a tree. It's fruitless. Now Jesus said, if you have faith in God. Let me tell you a story about giving. I um we had a bill come up, it's it's too big for us. We had there's no way we could pay it. We needed right at that time we needed four thousand dollars and a little well, actually we needed almost five thousand and we didn't have it, we couldn't pay it, we prayed about it and and, and we just wondered what to do, you know, and praying and so I had I had this white town and country. It was a 2011 white town and country van that we used to travel in, and it had about 100 at that time probably 150,000 miles on. Then we had an old gold van. It was a 2007. We used to travel in. It had all it had close to 200,000 miles on it, and we kept it in the garage in the winter time. In the summer, when I go out and preach the meetings by myself, I go out and the girls would use it to drive around while I was out preaching. Well, one winter I went to put it in the van, and Cherry and I got talking. We said, you know, we ought to. We ought to do something with that van instead of just leave it sit in the garage. So I called my son-in-law and I said, uh, you know, I got this van and you, you could use an extra car because their little car had quit. You could use an extra car to drive to work. Why don't I bring it down? Then you could drive it during the winter. It won't just sit in the garage. He said, okay. So they're driving our old van and, and now we're driving that, that 2011 van and now we got this bill come up and it's due pretty soon and we don't have it and we're praying and, and we're, we're trying to wonder what to do and all of a sudden my son-in-law calls me. He says, Papaw, that's what they call me, Papaw. He said, Rachel, my daughter, Rachel been in an accident with Jed, my grandson. I said, are they all right? He said, they're fine. I said, what happened? He said, they got rear-ended. I said, really? He said, yeah, in your van. So they stopped at a red light and it was snowy and a lady slid into a rear end of them. I said, they're okay. He said, they're okay. But he said, the van, it still runs, but he said, the back hatch is bent and, and the backup, the backup alarm doesn't work anymore and the bumper's hanging down just a little. So I, I had a couple of days off, so I drove down there and I got the van and I drove it up to two brothers collision. Now here's something I never figured out. There's five, there's five guys burgers and there's two guys collision. 
It takes two guys to fix a car and five to make a burger. But I drove it up there and I said, now the van's been hit and I've never had this happen. I don't know what to do. He said, well, do you have the lady's name to hit you? And I said, yeah. He said, you got her insurance deal? And I said, yeah. He said, you call them, tell them what happened. So I called. I said that my van's, my van's been hit down here in West Virginia and, uh, I don't know what to do. And she said, you got the number? I got the number. He, she said, we'll send an adjuster out. So the adjuster comes out and apparently he looks at the van. A couple weeks later, he calls me on the phone. He said, Mr. McBride. I said, yep. He said, uh, I've looked at your van. I said, okay. He said, we're going to total your van. I said, total. He said, yeah, we're going to total your van. I said, uh, well, I don't know. I said, I've never had that happen. What, what does that mean? He said, well, basically we're going to buy your van. I said, really? How much are you going to give me? He said, $4,200. Yeah. I paid 5000 for it three years before that. Yeah. And I don't know why I said this, but I said to him, is that the best you can do? <laughs> I don't know why I said it. He said, I'll call you back. He called me back the next day. He said, $4,725. <laughs> so he get, they, they paid me all the money I needed to pay the bill. Well, then I found out they sell those cars. So I called them. I said, you're going to sell that van? They said, yep. I said, how much are you going to sell it for? They said, $624. I said, is that the best you can do? <laughs> she called me back the next day and said, $524. So I bought it for $524. They delivered it to the house. I sold it to my son-in-law for $500. And, I, and so it cost me about $24. And I got my bill paid. You say, preacher, what was it? That's God taking care of me. Yeah, I didn't plan any of that. But we prayed. I'm wondering if you're giving us with away. Here's what I'm wondering tonight. Are you withering away? Do you have any joy? Do you have any Holy Spirit power? Have you seen a change in your life and the lives of them around you? Is the Lord being exalted or are you withering away? This withered fig tree. You may remember a man named Mahatma Gandhi. And he was a false teacher and Involved in false religion. But when he was a young man, someone told him about Christianity. So he found a church and went to the church. He wanted to find out about Christianity. Here's what he said about the church he visited. He said, the congregation did not strike me as being particularly religious. They were not an assembly of devout souls, but appeared rather to be worldly-minded people going to church for recreation and in conformity to custom. They had leaves. But they had no fruit. And he left that church today and never again gave Christianity a second thought. You know, Christianity ought to be real. It ought to be real. But we're withering away. We've let the world, we've let people that have wronged us, we've let hurts and fears wither away the joy of Christ in us. We gotta get that joy back. We gotta get it back. We gotta start praying again. We gotta get back in our prayer closet. We gotta get back in our Bible. We need our joy back. And I believe He'll give us our joy. David said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And He can give us our joy back. I pastored a man. I pastored a man that always had trouble with bitterness. All all the time I pastored him, he had trouble with bitterness. And I could tell when he was mad. If I'd go out the back door, if he wasn't mad, he'd say to me, good sermon, pastor, or good service, pastor. But if he was mad, he would say to me, hello, sir. <laughs> so I could always tell. 
He had trouble with bitterness and his children had some trouble with bitterness and had trouble with the forgiveness of God. And he had it for a long time. But I don't know what, I don't know what happened to him. I left. I went back in evangelism, began to travel. And, uh, he died in an accident with a tractor. His tractor, he got behind it somehow and it rolled back and rolled over and, and he died. He went home to be with the Lord. But when I talked to his wife, here's what she said. She said he got his joy back. He got, he got his joy back. He got things straightened out. And I would say to you, friend, you could get your joy back tonight. If you'd forgive, if you'd get back in your prayer closet, if you'd pray and see God answering your prayers, if you'd confess sin, if you'd get... The truth is, if you just get honest with God, so that there's fruit instead of just leaves, you won't, have, you won't wither away. And your church won't wither away. And your family won't wither away. And your fruitfulness won't wither away. Let's not wither away. Let's just get honest with God. Is there something in your life tonight... Nobody else knows, but you know. And God knows. And I'll tell you the truth, I'm not interested in knowing what it is. But God's interested in hearing about it. He's interested in truthfulness. He's interested in you saying to him, Lord, here's where I am, and I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to wither away. I want to bear fruit. Would you tell him the truth? Would you? I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I've watched people at altars all around this country. I've watched them on their knees at an altar. Sometime weeping their way to the Lord. But telling God the truth about where they are. I've watched them go to somebody that's wrong and ask their forgiveness to say I'm sorry for how I've felt and what I've said. And I've seen them get their joy back. I've watched them confess sin and get their joy back. I've even heard some of them in prayer meetings together confessing their sin to God and get their joy back. Let's not wither away. Let's get our joy back. God doesn't want us to wither. He doesn't want us to be like Israel. He wants us to have joy, have fruitfulness. If you're not saved tonight, He'll make you righteous. He'll give you the righteousness of Christ. If you believe on Jesus, His Son, He'll save your soul. Let me ask you this tonight. Maybe somebody say to me, preacher, I'm withering and I need your prayers. Would you pray for me? Would you remember me? Some area in my life, will you remember me when you pray? Somewhere at the altar already. Would you let me pray for you? Lift your hand, let me see it. I'm withering, preacher. Will you pray for me? Is there somebody else tonight? Now, Father, help us tonight. I pray, Lord, I'm thankful that you know.